Good morning, church. Welcome to our online worship service for our English congregation. Before we get into our time in God's Word, I just want to share with you a few announcements. The first announcement is that this Friday is Good Friday. So if you will please join us online, we will post a worship service at 7.30 p.m. for you and your family to join us in corporate worship. So once again, that's 7.30 p.m. on our YouTube channel. We will be sending you an email for all of the, those of you who are in our database. Secondly, thank you for all of you who have been joining us for our Wednesday night's online prayer meeting starting at 8.30 p.m. You'll find a link to our digital prayer meeting um, on the digital or our online prayer meeting on our digital bulletin. So that's 8.30 p.m. Once again, you will also be receiving a direct email with more information if there's any changes. A third announcement is that thank you for all of you who have participated or prayed for our COVID-19 relief team. We're still looking for volunteers to help and we're still looking for donation items. We're collecting items twice a week. So every Wednesday from, from uh, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. and every Sunday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. There'll be, there'll be relief team workers at church to collect essential items to collect face masks and non-perishable foods. For more information, please contact relief at fcbcwalnut.org. Again, that's an email address, relief at fcbcwalnut.org. If you go to our FCBC Walnut YouTube channel, which I uh, highly commend you to su subscribe to, you'll also see that there's a relief video there that will give you much more information than I'm giving you here on this announcement. Another announcement is that our family and children's ministries continues to, to uh, post and uh, to share resources daily. So if you're interested, please join Facebook and follow our uh, FCBCW Families Facebook group. And for all of you, we do encourage you to, to join Facebook and to follow First Chinese Baptist Church of Walnut for the latest encouragement videos and all information where it's very easy for us to post post on that platform. So join us on Facebook if you're not already there. And lastly, we know that this is a very difficult time for many of you economically. So again, this message is only for those of you who are able to give regularly. If God has blessed you and you're able to give, please continue to provide uh, your regular giving and, and we would appreciate that so much so that we can continue to support the, the ongoing ministries of our church. Good morning, church. As the coronavirus continues to spike very quickly, the next two, three weeks will be critical. So as a church, let's pray together and ask God to intervene, to bring healing to our nation and to our land. And all of us exercise extra precautions as we move about uh, in our daily lives. Um, it looks like we need to take longer than expected uh, safer at home order or shelter in place order and we need to offer online worship uh, on a longer than expected time. Uh, let us learn how to journey with God and walk with Jesus. You know, in this experience, we begin to understand how, how the house churches in China will feel and how the persecuted countries, Christians feel when they are isolated in small groups and worship and follow Jesus. And we are doing exactly right now. And we have the technology to link us together. So we have extra help here. 
So let us learn how to walk Jesus during this time. And it is a time that is testing our faith. Uh, it is through these trials and testing that we can truly reveal where we are in our walk with Jesus. So let us reflect uh, before God and allow Him to guide us deeper into Him and grow together uh, with Him. As a church of a thousand people, the chances of being infected is high. So if there's anyone infected in our congregation, and we want to assure you that as a congregation, we will journey with you together. We will pray for God's healing upon you, and we will not forsake you. We will journey together as a church. Uh, this is what God is calling us to do, to go through this crisis together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to come before you and ask you to intervene in time of crisis because by our human effort alone, we are not able to suppress the curve. We ask for your special mercies that you will bring healing to our land when we repent before you. Father, we pray for those who feel lonely uh, at this time. We f they feel fearful or stressful during this time. We pray for those who are experiencing financial hardships as well. Lord, may you come near them. May you come to them in their times of need. Be our shepherd as we go through this crisis. We pray for the medical personnel that you will continue to protect them so that they are healthy enough to care for the infected ones. And you will bring healing and, and re, re, uh, rejuvenation to the health uh, of, of the vulnerable ones, uh, the seniors, the children, those with pre-existing conditions, those with pregnancy. Lord, may you see them through this difficult time. And Father, we pray that you will also allow us to pay attention to God. What are you telling us, Lord? You are sovereign, Lord. You allowed this to happen at this very uh, critical time. Lord, you must be telling us something. Even as we close down the church and move our church ministry and worship online, you put a stop to all the church activities physically. Lord, are you telling us that maybe we need to reevaluate some of the ongoing ministries that we have been doing for a long time? Maybe they are not effective anymore. Maybe they are becoming a routine. It is becoming a mechanical process. Allow us to evaluate on our church ministry. Allow us to review our lives before you. Are we becoming a routine Christian? Are we becoming a Christian by name only? Are we actually a vital Christian, a vibrant church that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally? Are we really living out the indicators of a vibrant church of love, passionately and live authentically and share generously and go courageously. Lord, we pray that you will reveal your will and reveal our condition to us so that we can grow strong in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Greetings, SCBC Walnut. Today is Palm Sunday. What a privilege and joy it is to still gather and worship in our homes and through the internet as we celebrate this tremendous week that is ahead of us. Palm Sunday leading to Good Friday and Easter Sunday is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If Jesus did not die and did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain and we have no hope that is going to last beyond this life, if even that much. And so it is a joy this morning for us to continue on into the Sermon on the Mount. Just as 
Palm Sunday marked the final week of Jesus' ministry, leading to a transition towards his death and resurrection for our sins so that we would be accepted by our Heavenly Father and be able to hope in him for an eternity as sons and daughters. This part of the sermon also marks a transition. We're going to be looking at chapter 7, verses 12 through 14 today. And verse 12, which is also known as the golden rule popularly, is the final verse of what is this sermon in terms of its contents. And then the next two verses are going to speak of why we should obey Jesus' teachings, why it is important for us to consider them and to live them out. And so this sermon marks a transition as well. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the remainder of chapter 7, is going to continue to use contrasts to inform, but also to exhort the listeners to obey what Jesus has taught, to follow him, and to glorify God the Father through faithfulness and obedience to what Jesus has defined and clarified and taught as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for today. And we thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, that Jesus not only taught scripture, Jesus not only revealed the truth, but Jesus also personified your will and your character. And he also lived out what is pleasing to you in perfect obedience. So as we come to the end, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we ask, Lord, that you open our eyes and help us on this Palm Sunday to be able to see how Jesus has walked and taken the journey ahead of us, Lord, so that in his death and resurrection, we're able to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me go ahead and begin by reading chapter 7, verse 12. The scripture says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This word so can also be translated therefore. And so when you see this verse, it is meant to summarize something that Jesus has just taught before. Now, right before this, right prior to this, in verses 7 through 11 of chapter 7, Jesus has just taught about what it meant to depend desperately on your heavenly Father in prayer. Because he listens, he always responds, and he always gives his children the very best. And so we can see this verse 12 as maybe concluding a thought that because God is like this, because our Heavenly Father listens and responds and gives the best, then we should do this unto others as well as his children and trust in God to be our perfect provider who answers prayer and meets our needs as we strive to do unto others what we want done unto us. But if you look at the entirety of the sermon, there's a clear point to what this verse is supposed to summarize, and that is actually the totality of Jesus' teaching, starting from chapter 5, verse 17. There's a phrase that gives this away. Let me go ahead and read chapter 5, verse 17 to you, and this is in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That phrase, the law or the prophets, the law and the prophets, describes the Old Testament covenant, the law, the entirety of their scripture. And so Jesus said this to begin the Sermon on the Mount, that 
everything he's going to teach, who he is, his ministry, his work, and ultimately his death and resurrection, it doesn't cancel, it doesn't replace, or it doesn't improve the Old Testament. What Jesus did in his ministry was that he completed the promises of the Old Testament through the New Covenant. Theologian David Turner said this about this verse. The general statement of chapter 7 verse 12 condenses the 39 books of the Hebrew Bible into 15 Greek words. Professor Mike Wilkins also said this, So the golden rule summarizes the essence of God's will for his people in the Old Testament and now for Jesus' disciples. So what Jesus did was not only make the Old Testament understandable, but he also personified it and added a dimension to what it means to live it out through his life and ministry. Many of us now are weeks into this quarantine as a result of COVID-19. And so maybe we can relate to this as to how different it is now when we are in a quarantine versus let's say if you were in a quarantine 15, 20 years ago. You know, if you were stuck somewhere, maybe you have nothing to do, you might want to learn something new. Well, in the olden days, you would you might have to look at it. Maybe you would look at a model and you would think, okay, let me read the instructions and figure out how to do it. You might see a picture of a haircut and you might pull out your razor and start playing around with that haircut to see if it would work. It's all by instructions and maybe by paper manuals and photos. But now, if you're at home and you want to learn something, what do you do? You just go on YouTube and there's a video for everything. You can see somebody either making mistakes or you could see them do an excellent job. And there's so many videos out there that are instructional in nature that shows you every single step to go from A to B, to fix something in your house, to give a haircut, to build a model. All those things are accessible and someone shows you how it's done. So that's what Jesus did in his life and ministry and teachings. He brought living color to what the Old Testament covenant and laws was recorded to be able to show us the character of God. But Jesus being the son of God, he lived it out in his ministry and he obeyed God perfectly. So that we're able to see, hey, this is what being someone that keeps the law actually looks like. Now the purpose of the law is then revealed in this verse. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Whatever you wish goes deeper into the heart. It's not actually what someone does or what you do, but it's what you want. It's what you wish. What do you prize and desire the most from other people in terms of actions, attitudes, and affections? Whatever you wish, what you desire, what you have set your heart on, what you treasure. Jesus then says, do also to them or to others. So what does that point to? It points to you, not to them. It calls for you as the one with desires to be an initiator, to be a promise keeper, to be a part of someone else's solution, and also to be an answer to someone else's prayer. You know, this understanding of the law is not oftentimes what we think the purpose of the law is. Oftentimes, the law we see as a set of principles and rules that creates limits, that tells us what we can't do, or what we 
shouldn't do. And this is actually how the Jewish religious leaders interpreted the law. And it became something that translated into many, many rules and boundaries for which people should not cross so that they are keeping the law. There were negative versions of this in rabbinic teaching. Negative and positive, not qualitative, but just negative as in don't do this. In that people would teach, don't do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. So don't. Stop. Draw a limit. Withhold. Keep back. And withhold and withdraw what you can do. So if laws are placed like this in the lives of people, then like the idiom goes, laws are made to be broken. And people then start having an external view of the law. Bypassing the heart, people just start examining and looking and remembering at the behaviors of people as to whether they have broken an external law. Well, Jesus is turning this around and saying something different. He's actually saying the law is good and you can live out the goodness of the law out loud. Why? Because the law reflects God's character. After all, it is God who is perfect, who is pure, who is righteous, who is holy. And so if he has given laws that tells us what is right and what's wrong, what is good and what is evil, then these laws should be things that are celebrated because they remind us of who God is and point to his character. So instead of laws hindering what you can do, laws should liberate us to do what is life-giving from the heart. So keeping the law then in Jesus' name means to live out our discipleship, our relationship with God. And along the way, we could help each other in the process because it says to do unto others what you want others to do unto you. And it calls for us to take initiative. It calls for us to take action. It calls for us to be willing to serve instead of just desiring to be served. Now, the understanding of this, the idea of helping others as we want others to do to us, this has come become very clear now. And even here at FCBC Walnut, we're just seeing how God is working in wonderful ways. You've heard about the relief team that has been formed. But if you think about it, the idea then of this relief team is really a response to Jesus' teaching here in chapter 7, verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. In this COVID-19 crisis and the lockdown and the medical shortages and the risk by which people or certain people would have of being infected and getting sick, well, if we were in those shoes of being in the vulnerable, or being in the weak, or being in the helpless, we would want for our spiritual family to help us. Heck, we would want anybody to help us because we are in that position. And so this relief team that is being formed is a means by which if we have been blessed and we have resources and time and the desire to help those that need help in this church and then outside in the community, then do unto others. Don't wait until something happens to you. If you're able to help and you see others in need, do unto others. Live out the fullness of a law for which the love of God is described and labeled and pointed out within it. God demonstrated this. He illustrated this. Jesus illustrated this in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. This is what he said. You have heard that it was said, 
You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, even early in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pointed to our heavenly Father and said, God blesses all human beings with the rising of the sun, with the giving of the rain, with the rising of crops and harvest to provide for our needs. This is regardless of whether we love him or we have trusted in Jesus or whether we are faithful or whether we are rebellious. God does this for all people simply because he's our creator. And God does everything for his glory. God does everything so that his name would be magnified, so that he would be adored and loved by his creation, which he is fully deserving of. But he doesn't wait for that. God gives and he does unto others first, meeting their need, regardless of who they are. This is an amazing example that when Jesus teaches on the beauty of the law and the perfection of God, that God does this first. He is his own illustration of what it means to do unto others as you want others to do unto you. And just as then Jesus requires perfection and obedience of his disciples, this verse that concludes the sermon, the rest of chapter 7 is going to turn a corner and share and expound on reasons why Jesus' followers should take his teaching to heart. There's three examples that are given here, and they're examples of contrasts. There are two gates and two ways in verses 13 and 14. There are two trees and two fruits in verses 15 and 23. And finally, there are two builders and two foundations. And with that, chapter 7 ends. And so today we're going to look at the first set of comparison in verses 13 and 14, where we find that there are two ways to live that enters through two types of gates that goes down two different roads. So please listen or look with me as I read from chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus continued to say, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The beginning of verse 13 starts with a command. Let's make that very, very clear. Jesus gives a succinct and brief command to all those in the crowd who are listening. He says this, Enter by the narrow gate. There's multiple gates, at least two. Jesus says, pick this one. There is one that you should walk through. It is narrow. And then he goes on to describe the narrow gate in contrast to 
another type of gate. It's interesting to think what this might look like. And maybe it would help to go in the order that Jesus had described. So the way that Jesus speaks of this is that if you're, for example, walking along and there's a wall, right? And in the wall, there's a door or a gate. Through the gate is a path or a road. You're able to see past the gate. And Jesus says, okay, there's one that is narrow. Go through that one and begin then a journey for the rest of your life through that gate along the path that that gate has opened up. It's not the other way around where you were on some kind of path and then you enter a gate as if that gate was like the pearly gates of heaven that we culturally think of sometimes as maybe what Christianity looks like or what heaven looks like. As if when we die, then we go on some cloud somewhere, there's angels playing harps and there's a pearly gate and St. Peter at the door. That's kind of our cultural connection to heaven. But that's not what Jesus is describing here. It's the other way around. Not that we live a life and we get to a gate. Jesus says, you will get to a gate and you will get to gates to choose from, but enter the narrow gate. Let's go ahead and look at these two gates and ways because Jesus draws the contrast between them. The narrow gate has this as maybe a description or a picture that you can imagine. And this is a narrow gate that is probably not easy to find. It's the reason why it's narrow. It's something that might even have been missed. If you're walking along the wall, maybe the gate is covered by something. And that's why few will find it. If you're trying to imagine, you know, maybe this gate, not only is it narrow, but it's also kind of rusty and, and riggedy and kind of ragged. It's, it's not a good looking gate. You might even get dirty touching this gate. You see this gate and maybe it doesn't even open all the way. You might need to climb over. And then beyond the gate, you see some thorn bushes and some wild animals in a road that just looks bendy and scary. And maybe there's just darkness at the end of the road. You might not even be able to see the end of the road. You just see darkness. And at some point, it just seems like you wouldn't know what's going to come up and you wouldn't know what's going to hit you. The contrast is this wide gate, this broad gate, this spacious gate. You might imagine it being one that is shiny, one that makes you feel safe. Maybe there's even a security guard at that gate. This is probably the pearly gates that many of us think about or our culture pictures for us when we get to heaven. And then when you go through, you can kind of see that beyond it, it's a paved driveway. It is beautiful. It is straight and where it curves, it winds through nature that is breathtaking. Maybe it takes you by sights that you've been longing to see, things that just interest you. Maybe when you walk inside, you go a little bit further, you see a valet there. So you don't even have to do all the walking. Somebody could take you down that wide road all the way to where it ends. Now you can't fully see the ending either on this one, but everything you see is beautiful. It is like looking north from where I am at the mountains 
after a weekend of snow and the sun has come out. You don't see everything, but what you see is beautiful and it inspires you and it excites you. And you just want to get there. You want to just take that road to get there. I'd imagine that that's the contrast that Jesus is making about the gate and the way. One that is narrow, unattractive, and difficult. And the other is one that is welcoming, that is spacious, and that is desirable. But see, it's not just what you see, because by the words of Jesus, this is more than just something temporary. This is life and death. The stakes are the highest, because Jesus points to the end of the wide road and the wide gate and the easy path and says, destruction is at the end of that gate. Destruction lies at the destination of that path. You don't see it, otherwise you wouldn't go on it, but it's there. And Jesus is reminding his listeners of what matters the most. You know, this word destruction, when used in the Greek, is a very common word for eternal punishment. So this is not just about minor inconveniences around a bend if you go down the wide gate in the easy way. This is about eternal destruction and punishment being separated from God, from heaven, from paradise, while those that go down the narrow gate and the difficult way are those that will find God and those that will belong to the kingdom of heaven. You know, those two ways of viewing our circumstances in our lives, that's something that's relatable for us now. Maybe we feel this way when we're in quarantine, that there's ways in which in doing what is better for us in the long run, we have to crawl through a gate that is not desirable and we have to go down a path that is twisty, unpredictable, uncomfortable, and something that we really don't want to do. I mean, to go through that narrow and difficult gate, it takes courage for us right now. We have to choose what is more difficult and less popular. There's things that we want to do in life. There's plans that we have made and maybe have to cancel now. You know, there's ways in which you want to see people and be connected, ways in which you want to enjoy the outdoors, ways in which you want to dress a certain way or do certain things or have certain people in our company. Well, we have to do the more difficult thing and we have to have courage in doing these in doing these things. Jesus talks about how when you see the narrow gate, you have to find it and you have to choose to enter it. This intentionality to pursue the way that he is calling his disciples to pursue is also not easy. If you look at what we've been going through with COVID-19, every single week we're getting these updates and scientists are coming up with new conclusions, recommendations. We don't know what the best thing is to do sometimes. We're just taking it one week at a time. Should you wear a mask? Should you not? What works? What doesn't? How close should you be to someone? Should you go outside? Should you not go outside? We don't know what is the right thing to do, the best thing to do. But all we can do is what we know and trust that we pursue those actions intentionally. We have to find it. We have to enter it. And then when it speaks about the consequences being life 
and destruction. This is so much of what is on our hearts and our burdens, isn't it? That we don't want someone that is weaker or someone who, if they catch this virus, can develop an infection and, you know, could get sick or even worse, die. We just don't want to lose anyone. We don't want anyone to suffer from this virus. We are trusting in the recommendations of our leaders, of our scholars, of our doctors, of our loved ones to do what is right, to do the hard thing, and for the short term to change whatever plans and whatever parties that we have, just so that in keeping physical distance, we're able to be a part of the solution and to love our neighbor and not to be carriers and to pass anything on to others that might suffer harm. So we relate to this, but you know what? This is only on an earthly level because guess what, guys? We're all going to die. All of us, because of sin, are going to suffer the consequence of death. So this is a snippet, maybe something that we can relate to as we're living through this. But Jesus has something much grander and much more eternal in mind. Interesting enough, if you want to look for an example of somebody that walked down a path after going through a gate, you can actually see this in Jesus's own ministry towards the end as we are now celebrating and commemorating Palm Sunday, which ushered in the final week of Jesus's ministry. After all, Jesus traveled through a gate and came down a path as he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Let me read from Matthew 21, verses 6 through 11. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, this entrance is commonly referred to as the triumphal entry. And you can see why. Jesus is coming through this city gate, and he walks on this well-paved path to the adoration of many people waving palm branches, people laying down their valuables. This was the welcome that anyone would want. However, even like what Jesus said about the wide gate and the easy path, Jesus' entrance led to his destruction by the end of the week as Jesus was betrayed by his disciple, rejected by the religious leaders, and sent to a shameful execution on the cross by the Roman government while he was hung among thieves. There could not be more opposite of a treatment from someone 
that was proclaimed the king of the Jews coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey. People had their hopes on him to where now he was abandoned by everyone that he knew, even by his heavenly father for a moment. The first verse of the song Jerusalem says this, See him, that is Jesus, in Jerusalem, walking where the crowds are. Once these streets had sung to him, now they cry for murder. Such a frail and lonely man, holding up the heavy cross. See him walking in Jerusalem on the road to save us. The wide gate and the easy way that Jesus went on led to destruction, and he knew that it would. So why did Jesus do this? I want to connect us to our beatitude for this month. The month of April, we are memorizing Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus taught, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What is peace? Well, peace isn't just something temporary or something observable or just two people not fighting. Peace is something deeper as the Bible explains it. Mike Wilkins said this about peace or shalom from a Jewish understanding. It is completeness and wholeness in every area of life, including one's relationship with God, neighbors, and nations. Let me say that again. Shalom means this, completeness and wholeness in every area of life, including one's relationship with God, neighbors, and nations. So Jesus says, if you are about making peace in this life with God, with neighbors, and with your community, then you will be called the sons or daughters of God. You will be somebody that carries the badge of your Heavenly Father. You will be living a life that reflects God's heart and God's desire for shalom. That then connects us to Jesus' narrative again. Because see, Jesus came into town on Palm Sunday for that precise reason, to make peace between us and God. Ephesians 2, 14-16 says this, For he who is Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, we're all sinners, and we have offended a perfectly holy and just God. Because we are sinful, we cannot make peace with God because we have nothing to offer him, but it was always a part of the plan of God to make peace with us 
through the sending of his son. And that began tangibly as he entered into Palm Sunday. On a day in which he was celebrated by the people of God, the people of the Old Covenant, but yet ended with him on a cross. His death on a cross was necessary because he died for sinners. And as he was raised on the third day, that enables us to be sons and daughters of God through repentance and faith in him. And this gives us a lasting peace with God that nothing can shake and no one can take away, even in the midst of COVID-19. And so Jesus walked down the path through the gate that he told us not to walk down. Why? Because his destruction and death was for us. And because he was crucified and punished, we do not need to be punished for our sins. But see, the great news is this, and this is why Easter is the cornerstone of our faith, in that when Jesus was raised from the dead, which we will celebrate together next week in our homes with our family and friends, that when Jesus was raised, it was proven that his sacrifice was enough and that Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, was pleased with that offering. And that this sacrifice of his perfect Son was acceptable so that he can make peace between us and God. Jesus walked down the wide gate and walked on the comfortable path because he was obeying God's will to be a ransom for sinners. He was doing unto us what then he now calls us to do, to repent and trust in him and to live out what is pleasing to God through obeying his commands to love God and love neighbor. The big idea for today, for this sermon, is this. Jesus died and rose again so that we can love God and neighbor on the narrow road to eternity. One more time. The big idea is this. Jesus died and rose again so that we can love God and neighbor on the narrow road to eternity. May this week draw you and your family and your loved ones closer to our Heavenly Father as we follow the journey of Jesus through God's Word, through this Passion Week, to Good Friday where we can worship, and then to Easter Sunday when we can praise.